You are listening to Recap Gray, guest speaker at Harvest Community Church in Catanning, Pennsylvania. We pray that you will be challenged today as you listen to a sermon entitled, Desperate for Him, recorded on January the 15th, 2017. For more information, check us out on the web at harvestpa.org. Let's join Recap as he preaches. Turn to Luke chapter 8, and we're going to start at verse 43. And when you have it, can you stand up with me? Because I would like to read with you guys, if you don't mind. Y'all like, man, we've just been standing up during worship. We got to stand up again. You'll be all right. You'll be all right. Um, And I want you to do something. I know I told you to get your Bibles out. But as you have your Bibles out, I just want you to close your eyes as I read this passage. I just want you to close your eyes and just think about the scenery, think about the setting, think about what's going on, and then I'll pray and, and we can dig into this passage. And it says, and there was a woman who had had a discharge of blood for 12 years. And though she had spent all her living on physicians, she could not be healed by anyone. She came up behind him and touched the fringe of his garment, and immediately her discharge of blood ceased. And Jesus said, who was it that touched me? When all denied it, Peter said, Master, the crowds surround you and are pressing in on you. But Jesus said, someone touched me, for I perceive that power has gone out from me. And when the woman saw that she was not hidden, she came trembling and falling down before him, declared in the presence of all the people why she had touched him and how she had been immediately healed. And he said to her, daughter, daughter, your faith has made you well. Go in peace. And I just want to entitle this message, Desperate for Him. Desperate for Him. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, we're so thankful that you too call us sons and daughters. Lord God, we are thankful that in you we have adoption. That in you we have the best father we could have possibly imagined. Lord God, we are thankful that we're even able to be here and worship publicly because so many places around the world, we're not able to come here and celebrate in this way. So thank you. And Lord God, I just pray for every heart in here that does not know you, that you would save people in this room today. I pray for those who know you, that you would encourage them to have a longing and a desperation for you that shows. And Lord God, I pray you would be with me as I am weak And yet I know that as you told Paul, your grace is sufficient. Your power is made perfect in weakness. Lord God, let your power rest upon us as we hear and preach your word. And it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. You can take your seats. You can take your seats. So um, before I got married, I never uh, listened to NPR, but I got a little nerdy after a while. And so... Uh, I was listening to NPR, my wife was telling me about it, and there was a program that came on with D- Dr. Dan Gottlieb, and 
he was going around at different schools and he was asking a particular question to some kids in this SAT prep course. And uh, him, as well, as well as me, was confused about why these kids were trying so hard in SAT prep. Uh, for me, that was like the, the, the period where I would uh, occasionally feel I need to go to the bathroom for about 30 minutes. And you would find me in the gym, you would find me outside, but you would not find me in the class I needed to take. If I fail, it's cool. If I get an A, it's cool. It doesn't matter. It's SAT prep. But he goes around and asks these kids these questions because they're really serious about this class. And so he asked them, why are you taking this class so seriously? When they respond, so we can get a good score on the SAT. Well, then he asks, well, why is it important to get a good score on the SAT? And then they respond by saying, so we can get into a good college. And he says, so why is it important to get to a good, into a good college? And they respond by saying, well, it's important because we want to get a good job. And he said, well, what's the big deal about getting a good job? And they respond by saying, so we can make a lot of money. I mean, common sense, right? So then he finally asks, why is it important? Why are you putting all this effort into getting a lot of money? And it caught the students off guard for a second. And then one student raised up and said, so that we can be happy. You see, their happiness was directly tied to their understanding of what money could bring. They actually believed that if they sacrificed enough time, talents, and treasures to get money at the end of the day, that they would find themselves with permanent happiness. And if anybody's had just a little bit of success, you know that this is false. That these things just will not satisfy, and yet we constantly run to them. And here's what's true of even Christians. We say we love Jesus. We say we're desperate for Jesus. But what you're truly desperate for is what you'll truly sacrifice for. That where you're, and this is how Jesus said it, so forget my words, (laughs) He says that where your treasure is, that's where your heart is. And if your treasure is truly found in Jesus, then you'll sacrifice your time, talents, and treasures for him. But if it's really not, you will find that your pursuit is of other things. And so I like to talk about something I call spiritual snack syndrome. (laughs) It's, It's what happens on a natural world. When I got married, my wife would cook supper for us, and I would get really excited about coming home for supper, but I'd be a little hungry on my way home, so I would stop at the the little convenience store, and listen, I'm just obeying what they're telling you to do. They say, hungry, what should you do? Grab a Snickers. And so I stop in there, I grab a Snickers, and listen, you can't blame me for it. Snickers has nuts, that's protein, milk chocolate, I'm getting my calcium. This should be a hearty meal for me. So you take that snicker, boom, boom, you go home, two things happen immediately. One, the real supper on the table, I'm talking about some good steak, some fish, that which you need you no longer desire because you filled your belly without feeding your body. Number two, though, and this is even worse, what you have filled your body with actually makes you more in pain than when your stomach was grumbling. You ever had that happen? Like your stomach's grumbling like, I got to feed this, I got to feed this. You feed it with a snicker bar, a snack, 
And then you're in more pain trying to relieve that snicker bar without getting grotesque out of your body than if you had just waited and took in supper. And spiritually, we do this all the time. We come to God not hungry because we're snacking on these things that don't satisfy. And God's calling us to desperation for him. And what he'll do sometimes is he will strip us of absolutely everything that distracts us from being totally desperate for him so that we come to him needy, longing, and so he can truly satisfy every single need that we have. And so here we're going to meet a woman who's in this predicament. We're going to meet a woman that's spent. And so look at verse 43. It says, and there was a woman who had had a discharge of blood for 12 years, and though she had spent all her living on physicians, she could not be healed by anyone. So you got to really empathize with this woman. Put on her sneakers, her Tims, her high heels, however you want to picture her. Put them on. Empathize with this woman. See what she's dealing with because this woman is drained. She's drained physically. Like, I'm not going to act like I know what it's like to be a woman on a menstrual cycle, but I am married, and my wife tells me it's hard. Can I get an amen from any ladies? Okay, all right. So it is hard, but it only happens once a month. Here she's dealing with this for 12 years, and the bleeding just doesn't stop. She's drained physically, but she's also drained financially. Like she's been to St. Jude's Hospital, she's been to every little medical doctor around, and nobody can seem to get her better. And all it does is leaves her in more debt with more bills to pay, with the same sickness, and the bleeding doesn't stop. Now, you you continue on, she's also drained emotionally because in the scriptures, if someone was, was working with this, if somebody was undergoing this, if somebody was experiencing this type of sickness, then they would have to be ostracized from the community of faith. And so she has family members, gone. If she has any types of friends, gone. She's lonely, ostracized, and the bleeding just doesn't stop. And if that can't get any worse, she also has this problem that the Bible says that she can't enter into the temple because she's unclean. So the one person that can give her comfort, God Almighty, she can't go into his presence because she's undeserving, she's depraved, she's unclean. Have you ever felt Like you're so drained, it's to the point that you're really almost dry heaving in a spiritual sense. I don't know if you've ever had any type of food poisoning, but it gets to the point where you just have nothing left to give and your body is still trying to give more. And you're empty. This is where this lady's at. She's spent. And what I want you to see is that this is just a picture of what's true of every single human being. That when Adam and Eve sinned against God, what happened? They were broken from one another. They literally had to put on some clothes to hide from one another. There's a brokenness socially, emotionally, but then spiritually they're separated from God. 
what's going on with her is just a picture for what's true of every single person in here. So the question is no longer, are you desperate for Jesus? The question is, are you humble enough to admit just how desperate you are? So, (laughs) we look at what happens. She's going through this pain. She's going through this situation. And then... All these cats coming to her town like with commercials, like, yo, just got back from meeting with Jesus. This dude got some healing stuff that you've never seen before. So she's looking out from her window. Another person comes, yo, this Jesus cat is crazy. Like, he's doing some crazy stuff. So now, like a good commercial, you're like, man, huh, I think I need some of that, right? And so she's thinking about this. She's pondering this. And then he comes into her town. What do you think she's going to do? Now, remember, she can't come around people. And yet, look at what the text says. It says she came up, not in front because she doesn't want to be detected. This was like a secret operation, Pink Panther ministry, all right? So she's coming in this joint all smooth with hers. I don't know if you've seen the mimes just coming in here, swilling, wiggling, everything she can do so she doesn't get detected. She comes behind him. And what does it say? says, and she touched the fringe of his garment, and immediately her discharge of blood ceased. That Jesus did in less than 12 seconds what doctors couldn't do in over 12 years. Like, our God is so tough, yo. Like, you got to really picture what's going on. Jesus isn't actively looking at her. His focus is elsewhere. And yet he's so tough that healing just drops out of his back pocket. Like that's how tough our God is. That's how powerful our God is. And here is a woman who has been trying for years to get this healing. This wasn't just a, well, I guess I'll try this, try this. She's tried everything else. And yet Jesus does passively What doctors for 12 years couldn't actively do with all of their might and all of their strength. That's how great our God is. And here we are, and we're met with her. And this is beautiful to most of us when we see this, and I've heard this preached so many times. Look at how desperate she is, and look at her pursuit. But you don't get her pursuit of Jesus Christ if you don't first embrace her desperation. You're not going to go to Jesus like this, go through a crowd when you know that you're unworthy to be in his presence. You're not going to come to him like this if you don't first feel the desperation and need for him. And so the call again is to see our desperation. But but after we see her pursuit, after we see her desperation, you know, I got to talk about my man, Jesus. Look at what Jesus does in this passage. It says, and Jesus said, Who was it that touched me? So when all denied it, which always makes me laugh. I mean, like, like the the scripture already said that the crowd is pressing in on him. Okay, so everybody's touching him and then everybody denies it. I guess we're all just a bunch of little liars. So here you are. You're in this text too. You're a liar too. We're all a bunch of little liars. And then Peter says, this is a natural response. Master. Let me remind you, the crowds surround you and are pressing in on you. 
But Jesus said, and this is my translation, Peter, I'm not dumb, okay? Someone touched me, for I perceive that power has gone out from me. You know what he's saying? He's saying, Peter, like, I know that a crowd is pressing in on me. I'm trying to get you to see something that's beyond your mere physical sight. That there's been somebody who's touched me in a way that's different than everybody else. Because she's touched me with the touch of desperation, a touch of need. Here it is. I want you to really picture this. Because Peter's not crazy. This is a scene where Jesus is in the middle of a crowd. Okay? Only way I could picture this, I'm a Temple Owls fan. Okay? Temple Owls, go Temple Owls, go Temple Owls. Okay? Now... I have to imagine this. I promise this is only something you're going to hear in a sermon and in prayer. But say temple by any kind of grace imaginable makes it to the final four. So they're in the final four. And we're talking there's three seconds left. They're down by two. The shooting guard comes up. Half court. Boom, boom. Dribbles this way. Left. Oh. And you can hear the music. And then it goes off the backboard, circles around the rim. You know in the movies they got to make it dramatic. It never just falls in, right? Circles around the rim. It stops. How does it do that? We don't know. And then it circles a little bit more and then... And the crowd goes wild. What, what, what happens? The crowd storms the court to touch one person. 15,000 fans from every direction storming to touch one person. Yes, it's a celebration, but it's also very dangerous. This is the scene. Everybody's pressing in on Jesus. And in the midst of that scene, Jesus is like, yo, yo, yo. Who touched me? It should be confusing to you. And even more than that, Jesus just got a 911 call. Jairus' daughter is about to die. Can you imagine if your daughter's about to die? You call the ambulance. The ambulance is on its way. I don't know if anybody's ever been on this PA turnpike. It's the worst during rush hour. You're driving during rush hour. Ambulance is on its way, clears up everything, and then it stops on the side of the road in the middle of rush hour traffic to notice one woman. Like, this is a kind of of noticing that only our God has. That he did all of that to say to you, to say to the crowd, and to say to me, that desperate faith never goes unnoticed by our God. That if you continue to seek the Lord for your loved ones, that don't know him, and you're crying out day and after night, day after night saying, Lord, please save them. And it feels like he hasn't answered. What this text tells us is that desperate faith never goes unnoticed. Some of us have given up on these types of prayers, these prayers that just seem like God is not going to answer. And what the text 
tells us is that desperate faith never goes unnoticed. That you get back tomorrow morning on your knees crying out to the Lord again, God, I need you in this area. I'm begging you to deliver me from this sin. I'm asking you, I'm crying out to you. I've been addicted for years. I'm asking you, they've been addicted for years. Can you please deliver them? God says, desperate faith doesn't go unnoticed. It just doesn't go unnoticed. I think about my wife when we're at home and we we invite a whole bunch of friends over a lot of times and we're playing taboo. We got the music bumping, all types of stuff going on. You got the cops outside. I mean, everything's crazy. And here it is, my wife in the midst of that will be like, and guys, don't even act like you understand what this is. She'll be like, whoa, 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 whoa. Y'all hear that? And we're like, yeah, it's a bunch of noise in here. She's like, no, 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 no. I hear something. And in the midst of all of that noise, she hears the tiniest whimper of our children upstairs. That's how our God is with his people, with his children. That he notices you when you cry out to him. And so the call for us is not to give up. The call for us is to press in and to continue to cry out in desperation. Lord, we're in need of you. Will you rescue us? Well, next, after we see his compassionate discernment, we see her powerful declaration. Look at what it says in verse um, 47. It says, and when the woman saw that she was not hidden, so Pink Panther ministry already exposed, she came trembling and falling down before him, declared in the presence of all the people why she had touched him and how she had been immediately healed. All this is is a testimony. But what makes this powerful is what this woman was going through. Now, she declares his power through both her posture and her proclamation. Let's look at her posture. It says she was trembling and she literally fell down at her knees. Now, this should make you think back to Isaiah 6. My man Isaiah, dope prophet, gets some of the best prophecies you can ever possibly imagine. I mean, if there's like an A-level prophecy, like he gets them. And so Isaiah is one of the top dogs when it comes to prophecy, and he gets invited into the heavenly realm. So he gets up there. They're singing this dope hook like, yo, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. The whole earth is full of his glory. And they singing it over and over again. And he's like, yo, that's tight, yo, that's tight. And then he starts to realize, yo, this God really is holy. And he starts to shake, and he starts to tremble, and he starts to fall down. And what does he say? He says, woe is me, for I am a man of unclean lips. Now, you would think he would like, if he's going to realize his sin in any area, it wouldn't be with his mouth because he's a prophet. That's the one way in which he glorifies God, through prophecy. And yet, before this holy God, even a prophet thinks he has a potty mouth. Does that, like, help you to realize just how holy this God is that before him, you can't come to him with your works because the prophet, the very mouthpiece of God, they call him, goes before God and is like, yo, I need to put a piece of soap in my mouth. I am gross. 
And so this is what this woman is met with when she meets Jesus. But let's also look at her proclamation. Because she thinks that she's been pursuing Jesus all this time, but really Jesus has been pursuing her. Jesus comes from an infinite amount of light years away, down onto earth, and he already knows that this woman is going to be written in Scripture. Do you really think he came from that far away down to her town and was like, oops, I forgot something. Uh, what was her address again? Ah, dag. Like, no, this was no accident. What he wanted to do is drive just close enough to her. He wanted to pull up to her driveway, but not yet go on her doorstep. He wanted to go just close enough that he can draw her out, but not so close that she can remain secluded and inside. He draws her out to, in the midst of this crowd. And now this shy, timid, called unworthy, called disgusting, called vile, called unclean. I don't know if anybody's ever called you any of these things, but I sure have been. And on my own account, I was all these things because I was the dude that was chasing weed, chasing girls, chasing every possible thing I could do to rebel against God. So if people were to call me that, it's actually true. Here she just has a sickness and she's called unclean, unworthy, disgusting, vile by men and women who are just as bad as her. And God invites her to center stage. I mean, you got to see this picture like Jesus is on his greatest hits tour. He's about to raise Jairus' daughter from the dead. And this is at the moment where the crowd is like, encore, encore, encore. The crowd's going wild. Everything's going crazy. And Jesus is like, yo, 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 yo. I need y'all to stop the music. Stop the music. I want to welcome to the stage a very special fan. And he invites her right in the middle. And it's in this space in front of a crowd that she never could have drawn herself because everybody runs the opposite way when she comes. That he shares his greatest audience with her. He gives a voice to the voiceless. And if you've ever felt shy, timid, I don't know what to say, what does she have to say? It's not like she was like, I hate when you go to those award shows and like, they're like, I don't know what to say. And then they pull like this long list of like thank yous out of their pocket. She doesn't have that going on here. Like she's totally caught off guard. And like she's just sitting there minding her own business, trying to go in, go out. And here she's put front and center the spotlight shifts from Jesus to her. He doesn't even hand Peter the mic. And we'll learn that Peter can actually preach. Literally puts the spotlight on the voiceless and gives her a voice and says, tell this crowd how great I am. And I want you to know that God has shared his audience also with you. That your coworkers, your friends, your family members, those people whose breath stink. I mean, everybody you don't like and everybody you do. God has sent you right in the middle of them, that's his audience that he shares with you and says, tell them how great I am. And what happens with most of us Christians is we, we have these incredible stories of deliverance and yet puny testimonies, very small, 
like, hey, I, I go to church sometimes. And it's like, are you, are you kidding me? God has delivered you from alcohol addiction. God has delivered you from pornography. God has delivered you from being secluded, ostracized from society. God has been a father to you, the fatherless. And you tell your coworkers, I go to church sometimes. God is calling for a powerful declaration because he has given you powerful deliverance. This is what this shy, you shy? She's shyer, I'm telling you. <laughs> you, you. You scared of people? I'm telling you, you're beat already. What's our excuse? What's our excuse? But last but not least, after she gives her powerful declaration, this is really the climax of this story. This is what the story is all about is what happens when a woman or man who's truly unclean before the presence of a holy God is found in that presence of the holy God in a state of desperation. Does he reject her like she's been rejected by everybody else? Does he send her away? Does he say disgusting? Does he cry? The holy one, the one who is only worthy of being able to say unclean is the one who's spotless. Does the spotless one say unclean, unclean, get away from me? This is why she's in fear. Because she knows she who is unclean has no business being close to the one who's perfectly spotless. And yet... What is his response to the utterly unclean who comes to him in faith? He says to her, daughter, 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 your faith has made you well. Go in peace. Those are beautiful words. Daughter. Do you know that that this is the only lady in the gospel that Jesus actually calls daughter? And you can imagine why. She has no family to call her that. And yet the one who matters most, the one who the crowd is pressing in on, leverages his position of power and authority to say to her, you see how important I am? I call you family. You're mine, daughter. This is beautiful. It reminds me of a particular song by Big Daddy Weave. And if you haven't heard of the group before, um, the name is funnier than the group is. It's actually a really dope group. So um, they have a, a song that my wife put me on to. I have been like waiting for weeks and saying, babe, I'll listen to it later, listen to it later, listen to it later. And finally she puts it on, and it's like, oh, my gosh, here we go again. Just can't hold it back. He starts off the song by saying, seems like all I could see was the struggle. Haunted by the ghost that lived in my past. 
bound by the shackles of my failures, wondering how long is this gonna last. Then you say to this, then you look at this prisoner and say to me, son, stop fighting this fight. It's already been won. And then he says the most beautiful words. I am redeemed. You set me free. If, if that right there doesn't at least resonate with you, then I don't know what will. God is a God that looks at those who are called unworthy, undeserving, and says, I will take your place on the bloodiest, goriest killing machine that humanity will ever know. I will literally go on a cross for you who are undeserving. Pay for your sins with my blood. And what does Jesus get out of it? Nothing but to say to you, daughter and son. And so there's two calls for us who are Christians. First off, I want you to go into your notebook, maybe write it in your scripture, ask this simple question. Give me the real answer, not the right answer. The right answer, I can go to the kids' ministry. They always know the right answer is Jesus. (laughs) So give me the real answer. What am I truly desperate for? What is my pursuit in life? And you know that when you can fill in this blank, if I didn't have blank, my life would not be worth living. If I didn't have blank, my, my life would not be worth living. Whatever that blank is, that's what your real pursuit is. But secondly, there's some people who need to be noticed by us, the church, who are the hands and feet of Christ himself. Some people who are going unnoticed in our lives. And Christ is calling us to notice them and to declare, just as this woman did, nothing more or nothing less than the person and work of our Lord Jesus Christ. Thank you for listening to this sermon from Harvest Community Church. We invite you to join us at any one of our four campuses located in Catanning, Petrolia Valley, Indiana, and Freeport. For more information, check us out on the web at harvestpa.org.